Welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Center on the Ag PhD Field Day site following an Ag PhD Wheat Workshop. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We've got a live audience here today that we're going to take questions from. We've been talking about wheat all day, but we've had uh, some questions on other topics as well, get into fertility a bit, and we're just having a little discussion on some of the natural products that are out there. A lot of interest especially with some of these uh, nitrogen efficiency type products that are on the market today with, you know, nitrogen costing a dollar a unit. You got to look for some of those alternatives too, to try and raise your crop cost effectively. Yeah. One of the best things that we saw this year though, was amino acids. So there was this product we used called boost 10 and we actually had really good response on that. It was probably our best one when we looked at our wheat trials So, yeah, a lot of times here on the show, we're talking corn, soybeans, a variety of different crops. But today we're really focused on wheat. And where we saw the best response out of some of these amino acids was at green up or that'd be herbicide timing in spring wheat. So that was probably the thing that I would say stood out the most to us. Uh, The other big thing that we were talking about today is just return on investment with wheat. And, you know, I realize that a lot of our costs as farmers are higher fertilizer especially. But there are a lot of products we can use in wheat that are really no different in terms of price versus a year ago. So we just encourage you to take a look at return on investment because the wheat price is a lot better than it was a couple years ago. And a lot of the inputs really are not that much more outside of that fertilizer category. All right. Well, for our audience here today, if you have a question for us, just raise your hand. We've got a couple of guys with microphones out that'll Run up and catch a question, then everybody that's listening to the show can can hear your question uh, from yourself rather than having to have Brad and me uh, try and restate the question. Yep, and if you can, just give us your first name and the state you're from. We would appreciate that, and then go ahead. Yep, we're ready to go back there. Hi, Jim from South Dakota. We've talked about quite a few chemicals today. Are the prices locked in pretty much now? What? Will, you're going to have that we can lock in and come and prepay? Yep. So that's a fantastic question. That's the question most farmers have been asking for about the last six months now. The, the difference this year versus the last, quite frankly, 50 years, because we have really studied the industry. Darren and I have both been involved in the industry for over 30 years now. And this is the first year where manufacturers would not guarantee price to retailers until the product showed up at the retailer's door. So is there a lot of product now getting delivered to retailers? You bet there is. So there's a lot of stuff on hand at most retailers. And yes, you should be able to lock most costs in now other than glyphosate and glufosinate and BASF products. BASF is, it has a terrible shortage on supply right now. So that one's tough. But outside of BASF, glyphosate, and glufosinate, just about everything else you should be in good shape on. Yep, good right, question. Take another question over here. John from Minnesota. Uh, Could you comment on what the best way to control giant ragweed in wheat is? Yep. Uh, So giant. Thank goodness. First of all, thank goodness you mentioned a (laughs) broadleaf. It seems like whenever we're talking wheat, it's always a different grass species. Oh, man. What about a perennial grass or a winter annual grass? Those seem to be the biggest questions we get. But but broadleafs, we do actually have some options. And I would say start with that pre-sharpened. That's going to give you some activity on a small seeded broadleaf like like ragweed or giant ragweed, and at least you get a good majority of them taken care of before they emerge. Because you're right, that can be a real challenging, tough weed, especially in a lot of our rotations now, as it's Roundup resistant. Yep. So anyway, yeah, I'd start with sharpen at a couple ounces, 
and that's going to take a lot of your giant ragweed out in the beginning. Also, it has good burn down if anything was coming up prior to when you were going to apply this. And then uh, on the broadleaf side, and so for everybody who is here in attendance with us at the Morton Center, I just flipped to the slide where I've got this information. Uh, if it's me, I'm probably going with Husky. Now you can go with Husky FX. That starring just isn't going to help you out a whole lot on giant ragweed. So if you want to go a little bit cheaper, you could go with Husky. So that's probably the direction that I would go. Yep. Yep. You got two different modes of action there too, which is also pretty nice. Yep. And uh, we aren't using very much and buckdrill anymore in corn. So in your rotation, that'll add uh, at least that ingredient to something you aren't normally using. I know a lot of guys will use an HPPD in corn. Uh, which there's a little bit of HPD, HPPD in there too. Yeah, but the reason why I like that Husky is, yeah, the Buckteral in there doesn't have any residual, but the HPPD in there does. So now I got Sharpen that's got residual pre, and then I come along with this, different mode of action, post, and give me some contact and residual. Should be just fine. The other great thing about wheat, and I don't think, Darren, we ever mentioned it today, is wheat can choke out a lot of weeds if we just raise, do everything we can to raise a great crop. So that's why we talk often about drainage and fertility and well, seed and it gets, treatment. Well, it gets an early yep. planting, too. And you mentioned that earlier, that yep. planting early often results in more yield. Yes, and it also does a better job choking weeds out because that wheat gets ahead of things that pop up, especially some of the summer annual weeds. Yep. All right. Uh, do we have another question in the back? Yep. yep. Go ahead. Doug from Bridgewater. I was wondering, uh, Bayer, in the last week, uh, it was suggested that Bayer is pulling their registration on Roundup. Had you heard anything like that? Okay. Everything that we've heard so far is they're pulling their registration for home use and lawns and any of that kind of stuff. So as far as for those of us raising crops, no, it sounds like they want to keep that. But, you know, let's face it, they're, they're much more at risk with those users because those people aren't trained, aren't licensed. Uh, you know, it's, it's just a whole different market, really. Yep. So, no, I think that's, that, that was all that was about. Well, we were talking about products that are going off the market, and oftentimes it is the ones that are relatively inexpensive. And, of course, Roundup over the years has been relatively inexpensive, but we need it desperately for perennial weed control. This is our option. And uh, just before the break, we were, or just before we get started with the radio show today, we were talking about a perennial grass that had rhizomes. And I think about a perennial broadleaf type weed, Canada thistle, that's got rhizomes. If we don't have Roundup, something that can get down into that root system to take it out, uh, boy, we're right back to farming how we did 30, 40 years ago where it was, well, I guess I got to do tillage and I keep burning down every new flush that comes, but that's, that's no way to farm, no doubt. All right, we're talking about wheat today because we're just wrapping up the Ag PhD Wheat Workshop. We'll be back taking more questions from our live audience right after this. This is a wake-up call. For you and your field's microbiome from Source by Sound Agriculture. Source is a revolutionary foliar applied biochemistry that doesn't rely on bulky nutrients or finicky biologicals to wake up your soil and unlock more nutrients per acre, all with a low use rate. It's like caffeine for microbes. Source works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use. So if you're a grower, go to sound.ag and learn more. And if you're a microbe, time to rise and shine. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. 
With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Conditioning low-moisture beans to 13% can add semi-loads to your bottom line. And with our 13 for 13 year-end special, make 13% beans possible with 13% off an end-zone bin system. Use promo code 13for13 at farmshopmfg.com. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Today's a little different. We're broadcasting from the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field. They say we're inside, although it is an absolutely beautiful sunny day outside. We're just wrapping up the Ag PhD Wheat Workshop, taking questions from our live audience. We also got some online questions from some of our audience there. One of them, Brian, was about spider mites, and you had mentioned mite control that we had some issues with leaf curl mite. But this is a little different kind of mite, spider mite control with losing Lorsban. Hmm. What is now our best least cost control option for spider mite control in wheat? Yeah, uh, so a lot of people are taking a look at dimethoate. Dimethoate is not as good. I was showing that a little bit earlier. That is the organophosphate we have that's left. Otherwise, you're down to some true miticides. So I know in the past, like on our farm, we've used some zeal. It just it costs a lot more money. So that was one of our topics today is we hate seeing some of these great, effective, inexpensive products lost. So losing Lorsban is a big deal for a lot of us on the farm. Yep, it sure is. Let's take another question over here. Uh, yes, Elvin from South Dakota. Uh, back on page 34, you had the Everest 3.0, and it was suggested to me to apply that after there was, uh, as a post product, in the fall. Um, does that have any residual or stuff to it? It says ALS, but... Um, yep. Okay, so some of these products have residuals, some don't. So for example, on that same page there, on that same slide, we were talking about Axial and Discover, those ACCase products. Uh, they have very little residual, whereas Everest 3.0 actually has really good residual. It's the same chemical as Prepare that we would use for a pre-emerge. So you can use Everest 3.0 in the fall. I'm not saying that's always the best way to go, but if you have weeds up, if you have foxtails, you have wild oats, whatever, and you want to get some suppression and control then and leave yourself some residual going into the spring, I have no problem with that. That works just fine. So, yes, it absolutely has residual. Yep. Normally we'd be using that in the spring, though. Normally, but also normally we're talking to guys raising spring wheat 
who want to use Everest 3.0. A lot of people, when they're raising winter wheat, they're dealing with a little bit different weed spectrum. And so then that's where we start talking about, let's say, power flex when you're more after cheatgrass and some of the winter annual grasses, as opposed to the spring grasses that we often talk about, like wild oats and foxtail. Yep. All right, take another question over here. John from Utah. What would you recommend for broadleaf control in wheat, like early kosher, but later in the season you got Russian thistle coming in? Yeah, Russian thistle is one that we used to have on our farm quite a bit too, and, and pre-emerge herbicides really helped on that one. Uh, so I like sharpen for the pre-emerge option. I get it. It costs money. I understand that. Uh, but I, I really do like that for that combination. You know, what is Elevore like on Russian thistle, Brian? That's a well, newer it's fine, one but it's not, you're not going to have residual. So so Darren, what Darren's getting at here is in wide R match, okay, there's Stinger, there's Starane, and there's this new Elevore. So it gets a little confusing when you talk about some of these combination products because you'll hear some rep or some salesman tell you, oh, use this product, it's great. And you go, wait a second, I know what's in that. I'm going to break that down just a little bit, okay? It, am I going to get any activity out of Starane and it, uh, uh, very little on Russian thistle? And am I going to get residual? No, no residual. Okay, on the Elevore, w that would absolutely have activity on my Russian thistle. Am I going to get residual for late in the season? No. So the only thing that's left is Stinger. How great is Stinger on Russian thistle? Not that great. It'll have residual, but it's not that great. So I go, oh, okay, so wide R match. I really only have one thing in there that could possibly give me residual for late in the season on that Russian thistle, and it's not that good. So is that going to be a good option? No, it's not. So if now, it's is me. This, is this dry land in Utah? Okay, it is dry land. So, I mean, that, that will give you a little bit of help at least in that uh, you aren't getting that, that much nothing's going to grow? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, it's sure. not the easiest place to grow stuff, I, I would guess. Yeah. Now, if I don't have a rotation issue, and this becomes the problem in drier areas, and, you know, I don't know what, what you're rotating to, but that's where we talk about Husky a lot. It's that HPPD in there, and the HPPD absolutely is going to give you more activity on Russian thistle late in the season as opposed to early in the uh, – well, as opposed to any of, any of the other products that we're really talking about. But what I would say is if you say, I got to do kosher early, this is part of the reason why people weren't using Husky because Husky wasn't the best on kosher. Well, now there's Husky FX. For about an extra 250 an acre, you can get the Starane in there. So now you've got three components. You got Buctrol, you got Starane, and you've got an HPPD. So if it's me and I don't have any rotational issues with that HPPD in there, I'm using Husky FX. That's the direction I'd go. Yep. All right, thanks. Uh, another question over here. Yep. Brandon from Colorado. So new to us, I guess, we haven't had on our farm, but it's the Sawfly. Oh, what a treat. Yeah. yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what I'm getting okay. into and how to avoid it, I guess? All right. So we well, had send, a... it, send it back over to Nebraska. Just let them keep it because uh, so, it's no fun. So we had a wheat workshop here at the Morton Center today. We started at 10 and we wrapped up at 2 o'clock just in time for the radio show. So we were here for four hours. You notice how much time we talked about wheat stem sawfly, zero. And the reason why we didn't is because we don't have an answer for it. Okay, you. okay. Now, they, we've got some other pests that basically lay eggs inside the stem, and then you've got larvae in the stem that, that destroy the plant. In soybeans, we've got soybean gall midge larvae. Now, in soybeans, we've got a product labeled Thymet insecticide that has systemic activity. Will we get a systemic product labeled for wheat? I sure hope so. 
because Thymet could be a potential option. Uh, but the other one, uh, Regent, yeah, Regent that we used to have in corn that's labeled in some crops. I don't know if they've got a big enough risk cup to take on those wheat acres for wheat stem softly or if it would be a hundred percent effective. But I know this solid stem wheat uh, is not, is not the greatest thing. It, we don't for the most part see the yield there. So what do you do? You could try foliar sprays and we have seen guys that have done repeated foliar sprays of insecticide when the adult flies are flying, they can reduce them a little bit, but we haven't seen enough to make that work. And we're going to be right back to swathing. I don't know what else to say. It's it's tough. Yep. So, yeah, that's the reason why we didn't talk. Well, plus the fact that we don't have wheat stem softly around here yet anyway. So you really have to get over into the western Dakotas and Montana before we start seeing a lot of softly. But, yeah, it's it's a tough one. That is the toughest one that we've got out there. Um at least in the northern United States that we deal with, uh, other than now this gall midge. But I would say I've been talking to the big ag chemical companies about this for five years now and just said, guys, look, if you can come up with anything, farmers would, now, we don't want to overpay, but we're willing to buy some product from you if you could come with something that would help us on the sweet stem softly because we just don't have a great answer. Yep. All right. Yep. Go ahead. Norman from South Dakota. Uh, we'd like to plant cover crop behind our wheat. Sure. What's our options with uh, different herbicides, especially with carryover? Oh, things solid. you can use in wheat that aren't going to hurt your cover crop. Well, right. what okay. cover crop do you want to raise, though? Turnips, radishes. Okay. All right. So for those who are in attendance here uh, for our live audience, I've got a slide up on the screen that says wheat broadleaf herbicides, and I'll just tell you real quick the products I have listed there. Wide Match, Wide R Match, Husky, Husky FX, Pixaro, Stinger, and then the Affinity Products, Broadspec, and Tank Mix. So the, the first thing that I want to say is this, um, or, or I guess, and I, I should have really asked, sure. you, could tell, you could answer this question for me real fast with a yes or no. Are you going to be grazing this, or is it just cover crop? Okay, so, you, it's, so when we say cover crop, to me that means it's, Nothing that's going to make us money. We don't. We want a, some Brian, of it to Brian's grow. Brian's definition whatever. is you're going to plant cover. it and you're doing nothing with it till that's maybe right. you burn it down at some point right. or winter kills to it. To me, that's cover. What you're talking about, to me, that's a second crop. I want to raise the best crop possible. And the, re the distinction here is this. I don't mind if I ding up a cover crop. I do mind if I ding up my next crop. Okay. So, so if you need that forage desperately and you need it to be thick, then... Here you go. Now, what the alternative that some guys are doing is they say, okay, I'm going to put a, a variety of different broadleaves in the mix, and I'm going to cover myself by also having some kind of grass in the mix, uh, like oats, for example, we had a cheap one, just in case they have any area that maybe they doubled up with that broadleaf spray, uh, so at least something's in there to cover that area. We're up against a break here, Norman, but we'll get your question uh, right after this short break. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Stay tuned. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients. AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. 
Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. One of the most important things you can do for your farm is improving drainage. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Monday, January 31st, we're hosting a free Ag PhD tiling clinic in the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Whether you've been tiling for years or you're looking to plan your first project, you won't want to miss this event. We have a whole host of information for you, including a legal session with the country's top drainage lawyers, as well as presentations on tile design, lift stations, NRCS guidelines, and ways to approach neighbors and landlords about tiling issues. For more details and to register, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other AgPhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. This message is for all the corn and soybean growers out there who aren't made of money. If you're using a fungicide other than Zolera FX from UPL, you should know that no corn and soybean fungicide gives you a better return on investment, period. Zolera FX has two high-performance actives delivered at full rates for maximum performance and ROI in corn and soybeans. To see the data, go to ZoleraFX.com and always read and follow label directions. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting for the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site following an Ag PhD wheat workshop. We were really excited to talk about wheat today because there have been a lot of changes. And, you know, one of the more popular questions over the last few years is the question that Norman's asking, hey, I'm going to plant a cover crop that includes some broadleaves like turnips and radishes after I'm done here. Now, I need to control the weeds in the wheat, and I may even do a burn down after that wheat crop is done and then get this cover crop to get coming. So we got several different things here. Now, with the burn down, uh, if Roundup and AIM are working, or if you use Gramoxone, none of those products have any residual control. So we've got some no residual plant right away kind of options for the burn down. But the in crop, a lot of these products that we're using these days have two or three different ingredients, as Brian was kind of listing that, hey, this one doesn't have residual, but this one does. And it could be an issue, especially if we're in a drought or dry conditions. So those herbicides don't have enough time to break down. Okay, so what would I use? So we were talking about wheat broadleaf options. What I'd probably go with, it, well, it all depends on what my, what my weed spectrum is. But like on that list there, I'm probably going to cross off the two most popular wheat herbicides in the whole country, Wide Match and Husky, because 
the stinger is absolutely going to carry over and ding up your uh, turnips and radishes, as is the HPPD that's going to be in Husky. So when I've taken number one and number two off the table because I'm worried about that, that concerns me a little. And so that was part of why I asked this question about is it a cover crop or is it an actual crop that I want to graze and get some money out of? Because I want my cash crop to do as good as I can. And if I need to use Husky, then I'm going to use Husky and I'll figure out something else on the cover crop side. But anyway, what would I use? It's probably Pixaro. Uh, you could certainly go with something like straight Buckturl if you wanted to. Now, you might ask the question, well, wait a second. Could I put Buckturl together with my Pixaro, which is a combination of Starring and Elevore? My concern there would just be it might start to get a little hot on my wheat. I don't know if that premix is labeled. Pixaro is new. But anyway, if I've got Elevore, that's a 2,4-D replacement product, and I've got Buctrel, both of those have some oils in there, and both of those can be a little hot. So if I put the two together, now I worry a little bit about leaf burn. But that would be an option that wouldn't have residual, so then you'd be free to do whatever you want to do. Let me, As let me for a pre, uh, yeah, just let me, let me finish yep. up one second. As for a pre, I would consider Anthem Flex. That's got a low rate of Zidua, group 15, so it's going to give you residual for a while, but probably not for over three months. So you should be pretty safe going back to the turnips and radishes later. Okay, now, here's the other thing with cover crops, and, and I've seen so many fields of cover crops that have been beautiful. But I will say this. If we've got a mix of turnips and radishes and possibly a couple other things, I don't see an even distribution of turnips, an even distribution of radishes, and an even distribution of everything, and nobody cares. Who cares if it's perfectly even out there? Like you say, we're not trying to win any records raising the best turnips here. We're just trying to raise some decent forage. So part of that is due to the difference in seed size in these cover crop mixes. So we rarely see this perfect stand anyway. What I'm suggesting is why not just add in a little bit of oats or something like that that are probably going to live through about anything that you spray down the wheat. Now, if you had a spot where you doubled up and the broadleaves aren't coming back as, as good as you want, at least you got the oats in there that take off pretty well and you filled in. And now you've got forage and you've got your ground covered and protected. I, I don't know. I just like having a blend with multiple things. That way I know that I'm pretty secure. I'm going to have a decent stand. Yep. But yes, you definitely have options. Just depends on the weeds that you're after. And the big thing that we talked about a little bit earlier is spray the weeds when they're small. If you can get the weeds in your wheat when they're small, you got a lot better chance to kill them, even with what I would call inferior products and not my top two choices. All right. Okay. Oh, Another question yeah, over here. Yeah, this is Matt from Kansas, and it's kind of a two-part question. We went over it a little bit in the actual workshop, but with the biological naturals kind of that spectrum kind of developing amongst even the bigger names in the herbicide industry, that with that, are you seeing any work done to show an ROI for the use of a biological application? Then also, too, if you stack multiple naturals in a tank mix, do you see any potential or has any work been done for any antagonism amongst naturals in a tank mix? Oh, I love that second part of that question. If you stack uh, three, four, five of these different natural type products, uh, does it hurt the performance? Absolutely, sometimes it does. In other cases... I love how he says, uh, absolutely, sometimes. Yes, absolutely, sometimes. <laughs> and, you know, I think about this. Many of these are either bacteria or fungal-based, and their goal is to colonize around the roots. 
Well, there's only so much room there. And when you throw a whole bunch of one bacteria and fungi combo and then another one, the odds are that eh, there's probably going to be some diminishing returns there. So, yeah, I would look at these things one product at a time and then try and experiment by, hey, you know what, on a small part of the field, let's try them both together and see if I get a difference. Because we did see that, and Brian's putting up some slides here, where our best return on investment, look at our best three returns on all these products we tried. Oh, it was using individual products. And, you know, we still got a decent return on some of the combos, but our best return was on individual products in many cases. So, yeah, it's really going to vary. And I, I guess we just tell you, you got to experiment a little bit and see. It's been kind of interesting because we do work with agronomists all over the country and up into Canada and everything. And we'll get one agronomist that says, man, I love this product and all my farmers are using it. And it, we're getting great response from this. And I got other guys that go, yeah, it's, it's not working for us. I don't know exactly why. It could be the soil, could be the weather, could be you know the varieties they're raising, something. So it's really hard to say. But you mentioned biologicals. And so like on this chart, for example, like that Boost 10 product, that's not a biological. That's actually an amino acid product. Uh, the heat shield one is biological. It's on not, the other not live bugs. It's, it's, uh, it's an amino acid. Yeah, heat shield, we're talking about live bugs. And, you know, photo in, again, we're another amino acid product. Uh, so, yeah, there's just a lot of different ones out there. And, and, and then the other thing is plant growth hormones. So a lot of times people are categorizing these all as one thing. Well, plant growth hormones are definitely different than live bacteria, but yet we talk about them kind of in the same way. So there are, and we didn't have any of our trial work on that, but there are some plant growth hormones that certainly can work. So, for example, when we start talking about forage or um, let's say it's corn silage or whatever, but like if, if you were just after tonnage in your wheat, uh, you could use gibberellic acid. So there are lots of products out there in the market today. Rise Up Smart Grass is the one we use, but uh, gibberellic acid is known and it's proven and it's a hormone that's naturally produced in that plant. Well, if we can basically trick the plant into thinking that things are better than they are, because that's really what it is, when the weather's cold, the plant doesn't naturally produce lots of gibberellic acid, but we put more on at that point, hey, we can get response then. So that's really what we're looking for is trying to figure out, okay, what can we use out of this whole, what we would call natural realm and time it right so it actually helps us in the wheat. But what we found, like with that, that gibberellic acid, we could never get the wheat yield to really go up, maybe just slight, but it was more about the tonnage. So and, it, and really the stem. We, we saw good stems. We saw less lodging where we used gibberellic acid in wheat. Which seems strange because the plants are taller. Yep, I know. It was, it was just different. So, yeah, there's a lot of work being done. You're right. Looking at return on investment is going to be the best way to evaluate them to see what's going to work for you. But the timing is the other thing, and that's the, the study brands got up there. The timing really made a difference in what kind of return we got to. So I do find a lot of these products come to market quick and don't have as much data as I would feel comfortable buying. So I, I would certainly look at them on a small scale first before you spend a ton of money or commit your whole farm or commit for multiple years. All right, let's take our next question. We might not be able to get to the answer before the break, but let's take the next question in the back there. We were talking earlier today, I'm Jim from South Dakota, uh, all the new uh, nitrogen that's tied up in the humus and biodegrading yep. it. Yep. Is there one of these specifics that uh, entities that would help degrade it and 
release more nitrogen in our soil being that's went up probably the most in price? Yes, it has gone up, I think, the most in price. It's about triple from last year. So, yeah, it, it's not a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll cover that after the break, but that's probably the most popular question that I would say we've gotten this winter is on all these what we would call nitrogen replacement products. We'll talk more about that and also take more questions from our live audience here in the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim. I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Beat resistant weeds with Tough IVC on your team. Add Tough IVC into your post-emergent tank mix and even the playing field. Tough IVC, a selective contact herbicide, synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Tough IVC increases control of some of the toughest to kill herbicide resistant weeds, such as Palmer Amaranth and Waterhem. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit BeltramUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. When it comes to weed control, our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist Weed Control System, just better, with no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. 
We're live in the Morton Center today on the site of the Ag PhD Field Day. Ag PhD Field Day is coming up again this summer. It's the last Thursday in July every year, so we'd love to have you join us. Just go to agphd.com to learn more about that. Today we had a wheat workshop here at the Morton Center, and the next couple days we got a soils clinic. If you're interested in the soils clinic, you can join us for free if you would like to in person. Or you can catch us online as well. We will have a live stream out for all of our Ag PhD magazine subscribers. Just go to agphd.com or agphdinsider.com to learn more about that. Right before the break, we took the question from Jim in South Dakota who was wondering about products, uh, let's call them biological products, that could possibly be used to reduce the amount of nitrogen that a farmer might have to apply well, whether this, that's to get mineralization of organic matter and and other forms of n that are already out there in our soil what if we could get all that into the plant so this winter we've spent some time talking about different products that are out there whether it's from corteva that has utricia uh pivot bio has their proven exotic's got a product sound ag has a product uh there are several others out there there's one we've used a little bit on our farm called enhydro so I, I would just say I am interested in all those. We get a little bit concerned if things start to go bad with some of them. What happens is it'll rob sugar from the plant. And if conditions aren't right, we can actually sometimes see yield decreases rather than increases. So we just want to be a little cautious about these because they're, they're new. So we'd, we'd tell anybody out there, don't do the whole farm. You know, try some on a few acres and then kind of go from there. Are there any that are going to mineralize that organic matter in the soil faster? Faster none than of, a plow, Brian? None, well, that's where I'm going. <laughs> none, none of these that I can tell you right there are going to mineralize that organic matter faster. Okay, what they're doing, the, the primary thing is either they are pulling nitrogen out of the air or they are products like Utricia that we believe is going to help that plant and, and, and hydro uh, to some degree help the plant utilize its nitrogen a little bit better, not necessarily take soil nitrogen and convert it into an available form. On the other hand, Darren does mention the plow. Okay, now and, before Brian gets into this, I just want to say I'm not a big fan of tillage. I'm not a big fan of running a plow in the field, uh, so I'm just going to separate myself from Brian's side of this conversation. doesn't matter if you're a fan or you're not. Facts are facts, and the fact of the matter is this. If you go out and mow board plow, you have introduced more air into the soil, and you will speed up the breakdown of organic matter. That's a proven fact. I mean, that's the reason why when the settlers, or I shouldn't even say settlers necessarily, uh, but when people have used the mow board plow over the last 100 years, we depleted organic matter. When we reduce the use of plowing and reduce tillage, then we can start building organic matter back up. It's just the way it is. So in the short term, if you want to have more nitrogen come out of your soil, you can go back back to moldboard plowing if you want. The downside is obviously more erosion, more moisture loss, and things like that. So anyway, yeah, there are, there are options out there. And we just tell you, you can certainly try some of these. But, you know, also, I, so I pulled up a slide here that, that we used this winter for a few speaking things that we did. And you can see costs on some of these nitrogen products, nitrogen replacement products, are 5 to $30 an acre. If I'm going to spend $30 an acre on a nitrogen replacement product, I don't know. I'm probably just going to use nitrogen. So, that, I mean, that's pretty expensive. And then the other question that we got during the break was 
what do we think is going to happen with nitrogen prices? I mean, optimistically, I'm hoping they go down. If you go back to 2008, we talked about that year a little bit earlier today that really the fertilizer price and the Roundup price were just as high in 2008 as they are today. But what happened then is the fertilizer price from fall to spring crashed. It went, it was like half. That is not going to happen this year. So could it go down a little bit? It's possible, especially by summer. It's possible that the nitrogen prices could go down, but we're not looking for spring prices to be that much cheaper because the difference between then and now, then it was more about greed and running the price up because commodity prices were great for the first time in a long time. But this time, it's much more about that supply side of things and trying to get things in from foreign countries. It is ridiculous what's going on right now. All right, uh, we got another question over on the side there. Yes, uh, Tony Wendler, you frequently discuss doing a little bit of uh, on-farm testing. Yep. If you're going to do something a little bit different, go to a small section of the field and uh, do some testing. Away from where the neighbors can see it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, always, always a good point. When you're looking at a lot of these things, a couple bushel per acre can have a big financial impact. I personally find that hard to measure. You know, did you pick That's the right. right section that really duplicates your farm? And in my system, unless it's really dramatically poor or dramatically good, you walk mm -hmm. away and think, gosh, it looks the same. Yep. That's right. Uh, is there a resource that a person can go to that is good quality research that uh, can be used to apply when you're talking about uh, some of the things you were talking earlier about the biologics and uh, combining different things, whatever it might be. Is, is there a resource you would suggest to people to, uh, to look for that without trying to do replications on your farm that will be difficult to measure and really make a good analysis of? Okay, so first of all, let me just say what, what we do and what we would suggest to anybody out there is there, there are two main ways for weighing these things out and really checking it rather than just, oh, getting to the end and you look at the yield monitor and, well, it's not a different color, so I guess it didn't, ma didn't pay. So it's, it's number one, we would say have a grain card out there at least for that little bit and then just weigh each round. Make sure you fully dump out each round or whatever it is. And a lot of times what we'll do is we'll split the planter so that way we can easily have all these replications going through the field. You don't have to use them all or anything else, but at least you have some. The other thing we'll do quite often is we'll just reset on the, the combine. We'll wait and we'll stop at, at the end and we let everything kind of cycle through in the back and then we reset and we say okay how many pounds exactly was that on this round how many pounds exactly was that on the next round and we'll physically write it down sometimes just so we don't screw it up later and then we know exactly what rows we were in or anything else so those are the couple of suggestions that I would have the problem with a lot of the biologicals is it's literally that word, lot. There are a lot of biologicals. You go to any retailer in the country, they probably have six biologicals they're trying to sell you, and it might be six different from that guy. Is the other guy three miles down the road? Is the other guy five miles down the road? So to think that there's going to be somebody out there doing all this research on that end of things, we just don't see it. And that's really the big difference here with a lot of those biologicals and plant growth hormones and everything else, it depends a lot on your conditions. Whereas 
if I'm trying to use, well, the products we were just mentioning, Husky or Wide Match, I don't care if it's Utah or Colorado or Kansas. I know exactly how Husky works. I know exactly what weeds it's going to kill. I know how many uh, gallons of water you should put, what the spray nozzles. I know all that stuff because it's the same product everywhere around the country. And even in Canada, it might be a different name up there, but it's the same active ingredient in the same formulation. So I can talk apples to apples. And we just can't, unfortunately, do that with these biological. That's the problem. So that's why we just encourage people, look at what's going on, talk to other farmers in your area, and then try some stuff out on your own farm. Otherwise, you got to try to work with people that you trust. So hopefully there's a retailer you trust that's doing some, some of that kind of research work for you uh, so you don't necessarily have to do it all, and you kind of go from there. But, yeah, it, it, it's hard when, you're, when you start talking about this end of things. Yep. The other thing I would say, too, is work together with a neighbor or a friend or a relative and, hey, I'm interested in this. What are you looking at? Yeah, I'm interested in that, too. Great. Let's both do it and let's see what we see and compare some notes because sometimes whatever, you have a bad weather event or something else goes wrong and and you say, ah, I didn't get a good trial here because I didn't get an even spread of my fertilizer and my crops up and down. But my neighbor did, and here's what he saw, and he's right across the road with similar conditions. To yeah, me. so honestly, that's one of the things we do, and over a bigger area than just our neighbor, too, is we'll try to work with some other farmers out there and say, hey, why don't you try this out, and you know, you run your trials, we'll run our trials, we'll compare notes when we get all done and see how it worked. Yeah, because sometimes it could be a population-sensitive thing or a fertility-sensitive thing where, oh, hey, he was high in nitrogen over here, so that bug didn't do anything. But over here, I was a little lower, and I got a nice gain. So it's good to compare notes with other folks, too. All right, uh, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. we got more to come. we got more questions from our live audience here at the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site. We'll be right back. It came in waves, ruthlessly eliminating the toughest, hard-to-kill grassy weeds in wheat. Everest 3.0 Herbicide, a new formulation, delivers superior flush-after-flush control of wild oats and green foxtail. And Everest 3.0 is registered for use on yellow foxtail, barnyard grass, Japanese brome, and key broadleaf weeds that can invade your wheat and rob your yields. Ask your retailer about Everest 3.0. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. How do you make 300 bushel corn on your farm? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, February 1st, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, and we'll discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that rob yield potential. If you want a roadmap to 300 bushel corn and beyond, don't miss the free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events that we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in soybeans and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, 
plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information that we can't wait to share with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Bill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site following the Ag PhD Wheat Workshop. One of the topics that we hit earlier was weed control, and we had a question about Russian thistle control, and I had a follow-up question come in online. What do you think about Valor as a pre? You talk a lot about Sharpen. The thing I like about Sharpen, I don't worry about crop injury on wheat like I do with Valor. Valor can, can have an issue uh, if you just don't get any rain. And I know where this well, question is coming from, Montana, where sometimes eh, it doesn't rain all that much out there. you got to have Valor on a month before you're going to plant. So, I mean, with, with Sharpen, that's a true pre. With Valor, I don't view that as a pre for wheat when you have to be out at least a month in advance. Yeah, the other question that had come in online that we hadn't gotten to that I saw was uh, we talked about nutrients in the wheat workshop uh, but we didn't talk about nutrients that are in the stover. And when you look at a hundred bushel wheat, we yep. showed an example and there was a bunch of nutrients it took to raise the stover. The question is, does that all go back into the soil? Do you get a hundred percent of that back? Okay. So when we talk about what it takes to produce the wheat, it's what it takes to produce the grain, what it takes to produce the stover. Then there's the total. That does not mean that stover figure that that is not all what's left in. If let's say you bailed off the residue. First of all, just think about this. Where is half your stover? Below ground. They say that on average, however big a plant is above ground, you have that much root mass below ground. So there's half your stover. But how many nutrients are in this above ground? I'll put it to you this way. If your wheat matures and then you're going to harvest it, and in the meantime you get some rain on it, you will flush some of the potassium out of there. And potassium is the biggest thing. So I, I had this question a little bit earlier, and, and basically it was, should I sell my bales off my wheat acres to bring some more money in besides just the grain? And I said, well, what I would do is I would test that stover to find out how many nutrients do I have. And then you can multiply that out and say, okay, I got X number of tons out there, and here's the value of those nutrients. So look at what the current price is to replace the nutrients, the, the P and the K and all that kind of stuff, and just see. Because my, my point is, if I can't get enough to replace the nutrients, what am I doing? And 
in some years, we see the price for straw being really, really cheap, yet fertilizer is fairly high in price. Well, in a year like that, there's no possible chance I'm letting that stuff go. Whereas on the flip side, if fertilizer gets cheap again, and for whatever reason there's a shortage and people want more straw, sure, I'll sell that off if I can sell it off and make some money. But you got to look at the financials of that, and the only way you're going to be able to do that is you have to analyze that, that straw. Because otherwise, we just don't know for sure what's in there. It varies a lot. All right, we got a question over on the side there. In in some of the trials, we uh, you showed different populations. Yep. Um, we're going to plant wheat on what was non-GMO beans, and uh, weeds were terrible. Yep. Control was terrible. So, wondering, would you go with a heavier population of wheat this year? Or well, lighter? is it mainly broadleaf weeds that were a problem? And some grass. Okay. Well, if it's broadleaf weeds. Then I'd say we got some great weed control options in wheat. I'm not too scared about broadleaf control. Uh, but if it's mainly foxtails, we got a lot of foxtail options too in wheat. So, uh, you know, it's up to you what you think. I do think we've got on annual weeds, boy, we've got some great weed control options to control just about anything it would have got through on soybeans. Yeah, okay. So I, I, that's always the trade-off. If you're going to have a lower population, then you're going to have a little bit worse weed control. I don't care what crop we're talking about, corn, soybeans, wheat, anything. So you have to ask yourself, do I have good enough herbicides that can stop those weeds? And so that's where we kind of need to talk through with and you. And how early can I plant? Early planting is going to help. Yeah, early planting is for sure going to help. But, I mean, you got an advantage there with weed. But anyway... I would say if it's me and I got ground like that, either way, I, I'm going to be thinking an awful lot about my herbicide program, and I would like to see a pre out there because we know the weed population's high. If you're coming out of something that's pretty clean, you know, it's not nearly as critical. But in this case, and if grass, it, grass is almost always my biggest concern in wheat, I'm probably going to start with prepare rather than sharpen. So prepare's cheap. You're talking four to six dollars an acre. That's it. So not forty-six, four to six dollars an acre, and then you'll get suppression on a lot of broadleaf weeds. You'll get fairly decent control on a lot of grass weeds. So now you're off to a fairly clean start. Then you scout and see what you got post-emerge. So we brought up several combination products where it's grass and broadleaf. Uh, combo, you can certainly go that way. If you have a, a disaster, and we didn't talk about this today, but if you got a disaster with grass, we'd say spray a grass separately, then come back a week or two later and spray the broadleaves probably a week later, 10 days later. Spray the broadleaves after that because there's always antagonism between the grass herbicide and the broadleaf herbicide. You don't get the, as good a grass control when you use a combo product. So that's where if I use prepare pre, now I probably have most of my grass under control. I can use a combo product, and I'm probably going to be in good shape even if I don't have perfect control. Yep, we got a question in the back. we got two questions. I think we with got the, time for both questions. We'll get to them. With the boom in these biologicals and you two being SDSU alum, you think uh, like the Southeast Experiment Farm or someone you could get together with and do some experimenting or co-work on that, something of that nature? or with well, one of the challenges for, for uh, the, you mentioned uh, extension, uh, and, and a lot of the, the state land-grant universities do some great extension work. The challenge gets to be there are so many products, who's going to give them funding? And you know, getting funding to do all the testing that we would love to see, uh, your suggestion is, Brian, give the funding. I agree with you. That would be a great person to fund some of these trials. Uh, but there, there are just a lot of different products. And for, for I, I know uh, some of the struggles that they face because then they do a trial 
And then farmers say, well, wait a minute. What about this biological and this one and this one and this one? Like Brian said, this field is just the Wild West. There's so many different products coming, and many of them are fairly similar. So, yeah, it, it's kind of tricky. It is. So I don't have a great political answer for you on that. And but then, and I, here's yeah. the other thing. On some of these, like Brian was saying too, uh, they do perform a little differently on one farm versus the next in some cases because there's a different circumstance that's out there. Do you, do you trust it 100% that, well, yeah. this one was better on their farm, but, boy, they manage things a little different than I do. I don't see farmers adopting them that much until there's some tr trials and, you know, circumstances you can trust. Well, uh, fortunately, so many of these are very low-dollar inputs, 2 to $5 an acre. And when we've got decent crop prices, it's a whole lot easier to try a new 2 to $5 product. But I agree with you, when it's $30 products and $4 yeah. wheat – no thanks. <laughs> You'd be surprised, though. I mean, there are a lot of the farmers we're working with anymore are using one or more biologicals. Now, the seed treatment's probably the most popular thing. It just kind of comes in a package, and so it's not as big a deal. Uh, like even the corn that we've got, I mean, it's got a bunch of biologicals in there. But, yeah, I, I, there's, there's just going to be a lot more work on it. A lot of companies are getting into that because that's the direction that we're kind of being forced to go from the government and with politics and everything in our country, at least. All right, and last question. Yep, go ahead. Colt from Nebraska. Uh, I was just wanting to pick your brain about uh, dry spreading versus streaming your nitrogen on in spring and kind of seeing what you guys thought was a better route to go. Irrigated ground? Dry land. <laughs> I, I know. I, I, I knew it was going to be. I'm sorry I had to throw that out there. Yeah, irrigated then. Oh, I don't care because it can rain any day you want. That's amazing. The challenge, like for us, all, our farm is all dry land. And so we're always thinking about, okay, uh, how much can we put on in season? How much risk do we want to take? Because we might not get rain. And then we don't get that into the plant in time because a lot of this we're trying to put stuff out a week or two weeks ahead of when we really need it. And if you just don't get any rain and it's hot and dry, well, we, we lose it. Well, so, on top of that, we're talking about wheat here. So this is not the same as corn. Corn, I don't mind putting all the N out early. But with wheat, we really don't like to put all the N out early because then we get the more top growth, we get more lodging problem, and we have that issue that we were talking about with all these tillers that are at the different heights and everything else. So we usually are going to want to put a little bit out early, and then we're going to follow with the stream bars later on. So the stream bar, I mean, when we're raising wheat, the stream bar is an absolute must. In terms of what we do pre, we'll go either liquid 28% or urea based on price. The thing you got to know with the urea, you only have 48 hours to get rain or you start losing it without a stabilizer. So if you say, boy, I got no rain in the forecast and I don't want to till the ground, I'd either go to 28% or I'd go to urea with a stabilizer on it to, to help protect from that volatilization issue. So that's my biggest concern. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're almost always going to split apply it. That's just the way we prefer to go uh, for the reasons we mentioned. Well, I want to say thank you to our, our audience here that came for our wheat workshop today. It was a big day. We went through a lot of stuff. Hopefully it got you thinking and generated a few more questions. Uh, and thanks to everybody listening today as well, because you know what? We've got specific workshops coming up on corn and soybeans as well and about natural products. So many of these things overlap with various crops out there. So it's good to listen to these things, even though it may not be your primary crop, just to learn lessons for the crop you are growing. Thanks for listening to Ag PhD Radio.